a big hello and welcome to Bondofla listeners for our 13th episode. Unlucky for some. Actually, this episode is number three of the new series. And today we're going to touch on the very difficult subject of missing people. Our story is going to focus on Ireland and the beautiful town of Bray, where Ezra Uyrun lived before she mysteriously went missing in February 2011. Her family has not heard anything and the Dublin Garda are still investigating the case. So this interview is as much an appeal on behalf of the family as anything else. As we go to publish tomorrow, which is the 1st of March, would have been Ezra's 49th birthday. And it will be another trigger, another painful trigger for her sister, Berna, and her family. The Garda recently confirmed that in 2020, out of 6,358 people who were reported missing, there are actually still 52 out of that 6,358 who are still missing. This story was in the Irish Times and our thanks go to them for shining a light on this issue. Of the 52 who were missing, 18 were, or 18 are children, I should say. So Bernard Fidan uh, is appearing on Crime Call on RTE, which is the equivalent of BBC's Crime Watch, in an effort to jog memories in the hope that someone, somewhere, comes forward with some information. Berna Fidan is an incredibly brave woman who will not give up the fight to find out what happened to her sister, Ezra. And here is the interview with this inspirational woman. Okay, a very warm welcome to Berna Fidan, who's the sister of uh, Ezra. Um, Berna's been running a... A, a really great campaign to try and get some answers in relation to the circumstances surrounding the disappearance of her sister. And um, here at Bandofla, obviously, we're keen, um, Bernard, to try and maximise um, the outreach and awareness around your sister's circumstances, because um, you've been doing some, you know, unbelievable campaigning relentlessly for the last 10 years now. Um, so, you know, we're, we're sad to be seeing you in these circumstances, but all the same, a very warm welcome to the programme. Thank you. I guess where we uh, would like to start, Berna, um, is um, if you could confirm for the benefit of listeners, when, when was the last time you saw your sister, uh, Ezra? Um. The last time I actually saw Ezra was in January 2011 when she came over to visit because my sister-in-law just had a baby at the end just after Christmas so she came over to see the baby Um, and she was in good spirit you know welcoming another baby into the family Uh, and my sister used to come down every six weeks to visit us anyway you know, it wasn't an unusual trip for her. She used to always come down because she wanted to be close with family. 
So every six, seven weeks you'd pop over because it's not far from Ireland to here to be with the family. Yeah, that was the last time I saw her. And your family is typical of, of Turkish um, families, very family centric, I, I, I'm guessing, in terms of, you know, everyone always, um, you know, supporting each other. I, I guess your family was, would be no different in that sense. Oh, God, no different at all. I mean, you know, Esra moved over to Ireland four years prior to going missing. <clears throat> and, um, you know, I went over there to visit her. My mum went over to visit her. My daughter went over and visited her. And as I said, you know, she used to come over every six to seven weeks herself, you know, to be close with family all the time. And we'd be on the phone to her. You know, she'd be on the phone to somebody every single day. You know, if it's not me, it's my mum, it's my daughter, you know, it's her friends in London. You know, somebody would always talk to her because she, you know, she liked that close knit of friends and family around all the time. Yeah. So for her to disappear, it was just, and, you know, with no connection at all after the disappearance, it's just, you know, it's just unusual. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're not, I mean, at Pandofla here, we're, we're going to be quite robust in some of our messages here, actually, um, because, you know, um, I've been following the, the campaign, what, what you've been doing for a number of years. Um, and as I as I said at the beginning of this interview, you you have been tireless in in your efforts, um, and we will come on to um, the role of the Garda here in in a in a bit. But can you explain um, to listeners what you know about Ezra's final known uh, movements on that day? Okay, so we got a phone call from her husband um, to say that she had left the house in the morning just to go to the shops and hasn't come back so it I mean that in itself is unusual anyway um, normally my sister would take her husband to work every morning pick him up occasionally he would take the car to go to the gym on the way home from work and that morning he'd said to her you know uh, I'm going to take the car because I'm going to nip to the gym on the way home so my sister had said, okay, if that's the case, keep an eye on the baby. And she had a two and a half year old son at the time. Um, while you're getting ready for work, keep an eye on him. Let me just nip to the shops, buy a few bits I need. Then you can take the car for the day. And I don't, you know, I won't need to go in, you know, go out again because it's cold. It's February. And, um, and that was about quarter past seven in the morning. So you know, but she never made it to the shops. So, you know, well, so they say the CCTVs never showed her going into that, you know, where the, the Arcade shops are. Mm, that's been confirmed. Um, well, I've been in and out of those shops and they all know my sister because she's a regular there. She yeah. was in and out of those shops daily and nobody remembers seeing her that morning. You know, everyone I went into around the time that, you know, because there's only a couple that's actually open at that time of the morning, the news agents and, and the spa, um, the other shops are all closed because it's like butchers and charity shops and things like that. So they're all closed anyway until eight, nine o'clock. So the, the two shops that were open at that time, they confirmed that she hadn't been in. Um, what concerns us more than anything is... Um, 
the time scale of when she left the home. Now, her, her neighbours have come forward to, to say um, that the about seven o'clock in the morning, her immediate neighbour, when he was going to work, he saw the car in the drive. Yeah. And shortly after, when the wife was in the front room, she said, I did see Ezra come out and jump in the car. So we, we know she got in the car, but it's what happened after she got in that car that concerns us. Because again, she said that was shortly after seven, which then coincides with what her husband says, that she left about quarter past seven. Mm. But the first sighting, well, not the first sighting, the first reading of her number plate, because they read number plates in Ireland rather than cameras seeing the physical car. The first reading of the number plate was at a Power City roundabout, which is a four or five minute drive from her home. Mm-hmm. But it didn't get there till just before eight o'clock. Now, in the morning, why? in the morning. Yeah. So she left at quarter past seven in the morning. But why did a four minute journey or five minute journey then take till just before eight o'clock to get there? So our concern is always, did something happen near her home? Was she stopped? Did she stop? Did someone get in her car? And was she still in that car when it reached its final destination in Bray? Because there's no evidence or they can't prove anything to us that there's been any sighting in Bray um, of my sister. Nobody seen her in Bray. The only thing they say is there was a ping from her phone about 10 a.m that morning from um uh what do they call it the mass mobile masses um in Greystones, which is just over the hill where bray is but then i've always said but it's a mobile phone anyone could have that mobile phone it doesn't necessarily have to be my sister yeah. holding it her car was spotted on the the strand that leads up to the car park where she parked it. It is a visual, but the visual is so poor that you can't actually see who's driving that car. Um, The cameras eventually uh, came to London years and years after um, me bugging the Garda for untold years to see if they can be enhanced. Um, they said they brought him to London to have other specialists look at it. And still they couldn't get images off, the, off it because it was such an old system. So you do see her car coming down the strand, but and then it has a near collision with a Skoda Octavia, sort of um, a, a sort of grey silver mm. they can make out. But, you know, again... I saw, num- that. I saw that CCTV footage as well, where the car was... Um, erratically being being driven driven. yeah very erratically um, and that's not a driver you know that's not a driving of a woman anyway you know and if you've cut somebody up coming out of a road Mm. you're not going to then go bumper to bumper behind them as if you're chasing that car you know I mean if I cut somebody up I'd hold back because you know if you go bumper to bumper it's like you're asking for more trouble Mm. And we've always asked that Skoda driver, you know, please come forward, give us the information. Who did you see driving that car? You must have looked around to see who nearly cut you up. Yeah, yeah. You know, was it one person, two person, you know, two people in the car? Was it a man, a woman? Let us know. But they've never come forward. Mm. Then a car goes into the car park 
leaves within 30 seconds, comes down the one-way system again, and then goes back into the same car park and parks in a blind spot. So we don't know who came out the car. And that's where we're at. I mean, it, took, it was about 10 days later after she disappeared um, that the guardie came back and said that they couldn't find any other fingerprints other than herself and her husband's on there. And I said, well, you know, oh. it only means that someone's wearing gloves. It could have been someone else. Um, but her purse, a very small purse, no bigger than sort of a mouse that you would use for your laptop. Um, it, it's one of those purses that you can just slide a card into, fold some notes. That was found in the boot of her car, which I find is unusual as well. I mean, why would any woman put you know a purse in the boot of their car we're not mm. talking about a big handbag it's just a small boot you know little purse yeah. um and i said to the guardie at the time you know can you not think outside the box could this not indicate that she was in the boot as well yeah you know is that not a possibility but and from there we just don't know and all i've done is run appeal after appeal what time was that footage? Was it at night time? No, no, it was in the morning. It was about half past eight in the morning. Right. So from the Power City roundabout where her car was clocked, um, her number plate was clocked, to that car park is around the same, you know, it's the correct amount of time scale they would take to get there. Right. So, you know, it was just before half, half eight in the morning. It was about 20, 20 25 past eight when it got there, which gives it about half an hour from Power City to Bray, which is, you know, ample enough time to get there. Mm. Um, <clears throat> so that time scale is, is not what we're worried about. We're just worried about the time scale near her home. But, you know, I still want proof. Was she still in the car when it actually got to Bray? Yeah. Well, the point I wanted to make was in the car park. I mean, clearly it's if someone parks in an area where they don't want to be seen, then that would indicate that it's um, a planned manoeuvre. Um, you know, and I would expect the, the guarder to, um, to, you know, for the hairs to, to begin running, um, you know, because, it, you know, why would someone do that? And it kind of brings us on to the to, to the next point of discussion. Um, when when this all happened back in February 2011, um, the guard seemed to be quite uh, intent on suggesting because of the car being found where it where it was found that there was a, a possible scenario where Vesra taking her her own life. Is is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because it's a, apparently it's a suicide spot, um, you know, and I, and I've always said to them, you know, how can you tell me it's suicide without giving me a body? And why would she commit suicide? When she was over in January, she'd made plans for mum to travel over with her and her mother-in-law to come over. I actually spoke to her on the Sunday before she disappeared and she was giving me a shopping list of things that she'd forgotten to pick up. You know, can you just put them in mum's case, herbs and spices that she can't find over in Ireland. Um, 
And she said, you know, they're going to be here for my birthday. She goes, so I'm going to, you know, I'm booking us a posh restaurant for my birthday and we're going to have a girly spa day. So she'd made plans. So um, and my, you know, question back to the guarder is why is someone going to commit suicide who's making plans or would they have been the right mindset to be making plans if they had suicidal thoughts? You know, but there was no need. There was no need. You know, because yeah. they played on the fact that my father had passed away in October. Mm-hmm. You know, that was, um, yes, we were all sad. Yeah, we were all sad that dad passed away. Obviously, you know, we lost our father. And maybe, you know, I mean, Ezra more so than us because she wasn't near with, you know, with the family all the time. But then our father's death was not unexpected. He was ill for a very, very long time. You know, he'd had a stroke at 50 and many illnesses occurred after that. And the last few years of his life, you know, he was living on morphine. He, he didn't know who was there most of the time. Ezra flew over several times when he ended up in hospital where they said, oh, you know, he might not make it. Yeah. And so, you know, his death wasn't unexpected. Yes, of course, we were sad. You know, that's why, you know, after he passed away, we made sure we stayed in contact with Ezra even more often. You know, mm. we was on the phone. She was on the phone to us. But, um, you know, we were sad, but, you know, not suicidal. Yeah. I mean, I... I, I... I've got in touch with uh, the Dublin Garda and aunts for um, a comment in relation to where the, the case is at the moment. And uh, I haven't heard anything back from them, obviously, when, if and when I do hear something, we will um, report it in, in a future episode. Um, but I have to say, it all sounds like quite lazy um, policing, you know, and it's come at, at the expense of of your family, unfortunately, Berna. Um, very, they are very slow, I must admit. They are very slow, and especially at the beginning, they were very slow. Um, you know, I was backwards and forwards constantly phoning them to actually try and get things done. I had, I mean, we had searches done throughout the area. The public came out. We had sea searches. We had voluntary sea searches come down as well. I mean, initially, when they found the car, <clears throat> they did do a helicopter search of the area mm-hmm. and the sea. Um, and then we had the Boeing fishermen come out. We had a crew from Limerick came out to help us as well. And, you know, the sea search wasn't just done once. It was done at the beginning, two months later, four months later, six months later. And, it, and that's because they said, you know, the sea could wash back at later dates so we had them you know these voluntary groups came to us you know to help so many times and you know we're so very grateful for them as well but unfortunately we've never found any trace of anything in Bray that you know could have been left yeah it sounds as though the community response has been very warming oh god yeah yeah they were were very helpful and uh, you know but yeah, I've made many good friends over there, you know, a, you know, a couple in particular that come out every year um, when I go over to run appeals, help me put up posters and, you know, they're always there to support, sending me messages constantly of support as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so why did the guard wait so long before sending the CCTV, the grainy footage? Because 
There has been well, some they said... <clears throat> CCTV yeah. technology. I mean, they said that they'd looked at it um, several times and they'd had it analysed several times and, and you know, they, they felt that they did, they'd done what they could with it. Um, but the case then got to take, taken over by another inspector that said he will look at it again. So I find it quite bizarre that in a world where Big Brother tends to dominate us to the point where um, we sometimes feel quite uncomfortable about it and, you know, justifiably mm -hmm. so in a, in a situation where, you know, you'd hope that, it come, you know, it, it benefits us for the reasons why, um, you know, it's there for in terms of, uh, you know, security. It mm -hmm. hasn't delivered. Um, no, it's really not this time. Down, which is deeply disappointing and I... Hopefully they... I mean, I'm sure they've improved their CCTVs over the years, but 10 years ago, it was just a different story. You know, it was, there was this one CCTV, it was a cat, it was a, belonged to the guardie that was watching the strand. It's, it's one of those on a swing motion. So what they suggested were this woman that they supposedly spotted walking up Bray's head that morning and never coming back down again. Um, that footage they showed is when the camera had swung back round to the car park mm -hmm. uh, because somebody had mentioned there's too many vans in it, you know, too many vans there and the guardie should keep an eye on the car park. Mm -hmm. So instead of watching the road coming in, it started watching the car park, but that was after 10 a.m. in the morning. Yeah. And by which time that car park was full of people. Um, when my sister's car went in just before half past eight in the morning and I watched the footage from a star amuse amusement centre, they actually allowed me to go in and watch the footage they sent to the guardie. That car park was virtually empty. There was maybe half a dozen cars there at that, that time of the morning. And you can see the people in the distance, you know, jogging and walking their dogs. And, and I made sure that I got there early in the morning. I mean, I stayed in Ireland for nearly three months at the beginning. Yeah. And in the morning, I would get there, sit on the wall and watch the people going backwards and forwards. And it's always the same people doing their morning jog, walking their dogs. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they've even stopped and talked to me saying, are you OK? Because I was a strange face there. Yeah. So if they'd seen my sister, I'm sure they would have done the same. And when I mentioned, you know, this is where my sister's car was parked, she's been missing. And, and everyone, you know, we've seen her posters, but we've never seen her here. So that's yes. why it just, you know, I'm thinking somebody must have seen her. Mm. But yes, this woman that walked up the hill... Um, was after 10, maybe 11 o'clock in the morning. Mm. So, and she didn't even look like my sister anyway. She's sort of, you know, the, her frame was not the same. And you could see at the foot of the camera that she was just, well, she was standing there for quite a while. Mm. And then a little dog walks past her and then she turns and follows the dog up the hill. She does not have to come back down that hill. Mm. A little way up that hill, is another exit with another car park that could lead to the other side of the road. Yeah. Also, if you decided to walk all the way through the walk path, it will land you in the next town 
which mm. is Greystones. So a lot of people do walk up yeah. and do go right down to the other end and maybe get a bus back or walk the other way. Mm. They don't have to come back down. Yeah. Okay. I mean, you you were you've been keen um, for the Garda to obviously look at every possible angle here um, to get yeah. some answers to try and find out um, you know what's happened, and that also included looking at you know some of the people who had been convicted of some crimes um, to to basically see if there was any possible link um, with your sister's disappearance, and you made inquiries about. Um, a, a person called Mark Hennessy back in 2018, was it? Yeah, I mean, when, when it came about in the papers, I did say, you know, if he's done this to one person, has he done it to others? I mean, they've looked into things and, you know, they, they come back and say, oh, there's no connection, there's no link. Who knows? I don't know. I mean, I can't actually say the man did anything. I, I have no proof. Yeah. Point okay. fingers at people. I, don't, I refuse to point fingers at people as well, but... You know, <clears throat> they need to look at every avenue possible. <clears throat> Absolutely, this it's all about due diligence. Um, yeah. And you know, you want to you want to be confident that the authorities. <coughs> Sorry. That's okay. Um, you want to be confident that the authority in, in um, question is doing everything they can. And it sounds to me that you know, I know you're very respectful uh, towards authority. Um, you know, but from where I'm standing, I, I don't think the, the Garda have, um, have supported your family as uh, effectively as, as they could have done. And I don't... Um, I mean, I must admit, at the beginning, I was um, very angry with them, very angry with them. Um, you know, I remember a time where I sat in a, the Garda station for six hours waiting to see the inspector. Um, and it was outrageous, you know, um, but uh, I mean, as I said, the case has been taken over by other people. I mean, we've got another, they've got another group at the moment, re-looking at the case completely. So, you know, they're, they're going over all the files, apparently. So, um, and I must admit, a few people, you know, I've had a a gentleman come forward last year saying that he thought he remembered seeing a woman in this particular area of Bray um, and they didn't sweep it under the carpet so I give them that for them mm -hmm. they did go to the area they got the permission to go into the area and they took drones and they searched the area nothing came of it but so that's why I, I do say to people if, if you have any information come forward because they are looking into it you know, they're not sweeping it under the carpet like at the very beginning yeah. because it's a different team looking at it now. Yeah, and, and that's an absolutely key message here for our, our listeners, um, obviously, particularly those in Ireland, those in Dublin and, and the area, is it, what's, is it called Bray? Bray, County yeah. Wicklow. Yeah, so anyone in yeah. that area who, you know, has any information, please, please contact the Dublin Garda. Um, and pass on on the leads. And Berna, you're coming. It, it's you've gone past the tenth anniversary um, since your sister went missing, um, and it's very frightening how the years are just. Uh, I can't going. believe it's ten years. 
I seriously yeah. cannot believe 10 years have passed. You know, it's, it's as fresh as yesterday. The pain is as fresh as yesterday. Um, the pain doesn't go. And um, <clears throat> it hurt more this year than others because I couldn't go to Ireland to mark yes. the 10th year anniversary. But, you know, hands up to the Bray community because they went out, especially um, a friend that, as, as I said, Debbie, um, she rallied a couple of her friends as well. And <clears throat> there's another lady called Mandy who printed off a load of posters for them. Mm -hmm. um, and quite a few people have literally, you know, put loads of posters up for us because we couldn't get there. And even one of the media um, that I speak to in Klondarkin, which is in Ezra's home area, yeah. um, <clears throat> he, he actually printed off some posters himself and went into Klondarkin and put some posters up, you know, I, I, you know and I'm, I'm very grateful for that as well that have been on the, you know, that have been helping us appeal yeah. from the very beginning. And he did that as well, you know. Yeah, it's lovely to see you. very humanity. supportive. Yeah, these are the good, the good side of humanity, um, which is, which is lovely to see. Obviously, because of the COVID pandemic, uh, pan pandemic I'm assuming that was the, the, the oh, reason. Oh yeah, the travel restrictions, yeah, travel restrictions, we couldn't go over. So I've had to do all the appeals over the phone, um, Zoom. I've, I've actually got another Zoom call tomorrow with Crime Watch. Well, Crime Call they do in Ireland. So um, I will be recording tomorrow afternoon and the show will be going out live tomorrow evening. Um, <clears throat> and um, so they'll be doing the appeal. And it's Ezra's birthday tomorrow as well, which... How old? How old would uh, be? She'll be forty-nine. Wow. Yeah. So it's good that it's actually taking place on her birthday. Yeah. You know, it marks her birthday, but yet another emotional day for us. Very much so. Very much so. Okay. Well, we we really hope that this um this this podcast is is going to help. Um, you know, to finally get that breakthrough for for your family, anything that comes out of this, the family would really appreciate it. Um, Bernard, I'm going to leave the final word uh, with you. Um, what what's your final word? What final message for our listeners? If you have the smallest shred of you know any any sighting or any information you know maybe not citing but any information that you you're holding on to just come forward with it you know any little thing that you might remember and you might think oh you know what this might be relevant it it could lead lead us to her we just don't know we don't know if she's dead we don't know if she's alive we don't know if she's kept somewhere but somebody must know something someone's hot sitting on information i cannot believe that Somebody disappears without a trace and nobody's seen or heard. So someone knows, someone, someone has the information we're looking for and we're begging them, begging them to come forward to us. 
Okay, Berna. Um, listeners, if you if you want to contact us in confidence, um, you you can email the show at podcast bandofla b a n d o f l a at gmail.com or the obvious alternative is to obviously contact the Dublin uh, Garda. Um, who's the inspector running the investigation? It's, um, it's actually uh, Neil Henley. He's at Ronanstown Garda Station. Or they can contact Bray Garda Station or Ronanstown Garda Station because um, those stations know, know they're, they're the ones holding the case. Or Lucan, where the main work is being done. Okay. Um, Berna, thank you very much for joining me on, on this um, particular episode. I know that it's, um, it's very difficult for you to um, talk about what's happened, um, but you are, you're an inspiration to so many people, um, you know, because of the way you've been campaigning relentlessly. And all of, our, all of our listeners will be wishing you the, the very best that, that, you know, fingers crossed, we'll be praying that there's a breakthrough. Uh, for your family soon and um, please take care thank you very much and thank you for giving me the opportunity okay that was Berna Fidan brilliant campaigner and sister of the missing Ezra Oirun who went missing in Bray Island some 10 years ago this month Berner is convinced that someone, somewhere, knows something. And if anyone listening is able to help the family, you must do the right thing and please come forward. Follow the instructions that Berner gave at the end of her interview. Someone, somewhere is definitely hiding information. How does that sit with you? I'll leave that there. I would like to also make a plea to the Dublin Garda. Ezra was a a proud Londoner with many, many friends um, here in London, particularly around North London. Why don't you pool your resources uh, and let the Met Police join your investigation? I think that would be a very smart move. And if anything, it would go a long way to further reassure Berna and her family that everything is being done. I'm not going to do any political stuff in this episode. I don't feel like it. This interview is a reminder to us all that on top of all the shit we have to deal with in relation to COVID, some families have pain and grief that unless we walk in their shoes, we will never quite come to terms with or even begin to understand their pain so until next time listeners keep safe and keep healthy to contact me via email i can be reached on podcast at gmail.com i'm also on twitter at underscore bandofla that's b-a-n-d-o-f-l-a If you want to ask me a question or make a comment that we can play on a future show, you can also do this. And you can do this by going to the Anchor podcast page. 
Just search for my show, Bandofla, and click on the message facility. Our thoughts and prayers are with Berna and her family. Until next time, love and peace, people.